God Creates Dinosaurs. We've got the Sad Boys Book Club here. God Kills Dinosaurs. It's a Unix system. I know this. God Creates Man. Dusty and Daniel were so preoccupied with whether or not they could. Man Creates Podcasts. I'm simply saying that, but life finds a way. They didn't stop to think of they should. God Kills Man. Alright, so Daniel, I need to I need to admit defeat here. I need to admit my ignorance, my uh, stupidity, and my failure, both as a human being and as an uh, 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 very accomplished enjoyer. Well, first of all, this is a safe space, so you may share your truth without shame. So, um... Turns out that uh, for almost 30 years now, uh, I have incorrectly heard Dodgson's name in the film. I thought they changed it to Dodson. I thought Nedry was saying Dodson. You sent me the clip minutes ago. I watched it, and for some reason, uh, took me 30 years to hear Dodgson in the film. So, um, oops, it's always been Dodgson. I have dumb ears. I apologize to Wayne Knight. I apologize to Michael Crichton. May he rest in peace. I apologize to Steven Spielberg. And more importantly, I apologize to myself. Well, you know, I, I, it's at least, at least you're, you're being upfront about it. There, there's you. You could always become one of those Mandela effect weirdos that, that just like, that that misremember one minor thing, and then it causes them to go into like develop a schizophrenic worldview where they they got rejected out of some timeline and now they're they're forced to live in a ninety nine point nine 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 percent similar world, but just like one minor detail changed. So. I'd like to think that I have spent most of my life living with what I will now call Lil Wayne ear. Because those G's are silent. (laughs) Welcome to the Sad Boys Book Club. My name is Dusty. And I'm Daniel. And this is part three of Jurassic Park. Uh, Before we get into it. Things starting to heat up. Oh, go ahead. Yes, please. Uh, before we get into it, Daniel, I want to ask you a question. What's up? What have been your favorite chapters so far in this book? Well, you know, there's a lot of good ones. Um, you know, like like um, skeleton for one, um, control for another. Uh, then, you know, there's, there's Tim, that was pretty good, and also Control, um, there's maybe one, one or two more, maybe Control, and Control. You know, I, I got to control and I was really feeling the story, but then later on I got to control and it really kind of dropped off for a while until later on when I got to control and then uh, it got even worse somehow. But then later on again, I got to control and it completely redeemed itself. 
And then I got to the park, which was pretty cool, but then later on I got to Control, which was fun, and I enjoyed that, that set piece. It was really well told. And then I got to the park, which was really cool, but then I got to Control, and that's when things really started cooking. Yeah, Control can be pretty divisive, but I think a lot of the, the problems that you run into with Control are resolved by Control. Yeah, I would agree with that. Uh, so... Um, let's see, where did we start in this one? We started with Tim in the, in the Jeep in the tree after the T-Rex threw the Jeep, right? So Tim's in the tree, he's in the Jeep, uh, he's, he's hurt pretty bad-ish. Not Actually, like he's bad. in the Land Cruiser. Oh my goodness, wow. <laughs> that's one of the, that's one of the weird changes in the book and the movie that are, that are, um, in kind of inexplicable in the movie they're jeeps and in the book for some reason they're they're, they're toyota land cruiser in my defense with the exception of the electric golf cart light car that grant finds near the end of our section today every other time a vehicle has been mentioned in this section it's been muldoon and the jeep so forgive me for saying jeep <laughs> instead of land cruiser look i'm just i'm just saving you before the, the the nerds come and they, they come to, to roast us alive in the chat because we got one minor detail slightly wrong. Well, anyways, he's in the Land Cruiser. And uh, he's in a tree. And he's like, this ain't good. Uh, watch is broken. Takes that off. Seems like an unimportant detail, but uh, I guess not. And he... So, okay, there's the scene in the movie, yes, we're doing this again, and we're doing this minutes in, I understand, uh, where Grant has to go up and save Tim from the, the tree in the movie because he's afraid of heights, which is something that is, like, kind of true in the book, but really just kind of gets brushed off almost immediately. And they have to race down the tree as the, as in the movie it's a jeep, as the jeep is coming down after them. Uh, and they like you know the, it's 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 a very funny moment. They get to the bottom. Grant like collapses on Tim, and it 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 rolls onto its hood on top of them. And Tim makes the snarky comment, "Well, back in the car." Uh, in the book, it's Tim by himself, and he has to climb down the tree by himself. And same general thing is happening. The jeep's coming down after him, and he makes it down, and he plants himself against the 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 base of the tree, the trunk, and it just misses him. And he has an encounter with, uh, was it the Stegosaurus that comes toward him? Yeah, I think it was the Stego. And he throws a rock at it and gets it away. and So then he goes... Which, highly rude. Stegosauruses are very nice. He should know. He's got... I know many of them. Yeah, Tim should know of all people. He's got dinosaurs on the brain. You know, dinosaurs are really uh, only supposed to be appreciated by young children, so... Yeah. It's a good thing that Dinosaur on the Brain is a very um, benign uh, affliction. So I think Tim will be okay as he gets older. Anyways, uh, goes back up to the road and no one's there. A car's tipped over. He can't find anyone. He's screaming for his sister. He eventually finds her inside a drain pipe at the side of the road. And she's refusing to come out. Yeah, she even calls She's basically them. catatonic. Yeah, basically, uh, and she, 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 um, he, he notices she calls them aminals, which is something she hasn't done for a long time, so her brain has kind of regressed to that of 
like a toddler state due to the, the, the trauma of the of the attack. And he's eventually able to kind of coax her out. Um, is it because he found her? Ba no, it's because he said he's just going to sit there. And then I guess that causes her to be like, all right, cool. And then she comes out. And uh, I guess Grant had found her off 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 page so to say and was yeah, out we, we were, I was going to say yeah we we start with Tim but but Grant um Grant has already found her and he's off uh looking for something yeah so Lex is calling out for Grant and he hears her and comes back which interesting how Lex calls out for Grant and he immediately comes back being like oh thank god you're both safe but when Tim was standing on the road shouting at the top of his lungs for Lex, uh, Grant didn't hear him. Weird detail, but whatever. <laughs> um, He's like, well, I'm not Lex, so I'm going to keep on uh, with what I'm doing. Someone's shouting for Lex. Am I Lex? Nope. Okay, better keep looking for Tim. <laughs> uh, so yeah, Grant Grant got, got hit pretty bad by the Rex, as we mentioned at the, at the last one. Uh, slashed his shirt open, not too deep of a cut, and he was able to put some leaves on it to clot the bleeding. And he's a little sore, but he's good. He's good to go. And what's the smart the thing old to do? Just rub some dirt on it, method. Basically, but um, it's dinosaur dirt. Well, dinosaur leaves, so you know it's good. Technically, all dirt is dinosaur dirt. Well. I'm trying to think of a clever comeback to that. So what's the smart thing to do in that situation? Uh, well, they don't know where the T-Rex is, so they're like, you know what? Into the park we go. And they go into the park, because that seems like the safest option. I don't know if I agree with that, but I'm also not... A dinosaur specialist nor do i have dinosaurs on the brain nor do i play baseball with my father so what do i know you know i i had a very similar thought about um their plan to to go in further into the park there i can kind of see the logic but i i guess because you know the the if the rex is already broken containment the chances are it's probably going to try to go somewhere else um, so I guess that kind of makes sense, but I don't know. Personally, I I might just try to follow the road, <laughs> or just maybe like off to the side, you know, like get in the ditch, get in the jungle a little bit, you know, so you're not like, like, just like uh, a, such an easy target. But like, I don't know. I would I would try to at least keep an eye on the road to just have a general way to navigate. Feel like I'm navigating somewhere, you know. Mm hmm. So, so after. Uh, after her uh, the, the catatonic uh, you know aminals scene uh, we cut over to Ed Regis just briefly who has like crammed himself in it, it's kind of strangely described but the sense you're supposed to get is that he's like stuffed himself into like this little crevice between like a few boulders and he's just kind of uh his his adrenaline he is crashing and he's kind of like coming back to uh he was in kind of like a like a true fight or flight mode and now he's kind of like realizing what he's done um and he kind of realizes that 
yes, I, I basically abandoned the kids um, and to, to die. And, and uh, he he's, hears them call out, so he's like, okay, they're still alive. But that that doesn't really... If anything, that maybe even makes it a little worse for him. Because he now he feels like... Um, I, I, I don't know if it, he mentions it in the book. But I, I feel like there's there's this undercurrent of... Now he's he's a little bit concerned that someone is going to find out about what's happened. Um, also, he's got like a leech on his mouth or something. And he, that freaks him out. Yeah. Anyway, so he's... Oh, go ahead. Uh, no, you're good. So anyway, he kind of he kind of snaps back to reality, and he's he's getting ready to uh, to try to um, to go handle everything. But then he hears uh, he he realizes Lex has stopped calling out, and then he's like, "Oh well, I, maybe she actually did die." Well, that's uh, that's good. If she's dead, then that means I don't have to go back there. I'm going to start heading back to the base camp. And, um, so after, after that, uh, Ed Regis, he's, he's kind of, and this is kind of, well, now that I think about it, maybe my road plan doesn't work so well, but this is exactly why you don't just like go on the road, but he, he's walk, he takes the road and he's walking back and, um, he see, and the, which, is it the, the juvenile T-Rex? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So the young T-Rex, um, spots him and he kind of like. He like he, he walks towards him, and he kind of just like he like he's playing with him, like but not in like a cute puppy is playing with you way in a, like a sadistic cat is torturing a mouse before it eats it kind of way, and so you know he's the he's like knocking him over and jumping on him and then jumping back you know allowing Regis to get up and Regis is just. Uh, is freaking out and he's you know as as one would expect he's he's doing the whole like get back you know bit uh doesn't actually work out he 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 the the the, the baby rex um pins him down one more time and then decides to like uh decides to like bite his head off or something like that and um that and i think i think the uh at this point, um, Dr. Grant has, like, got, gathered the kids up, and, um, they gathered the kids up, and was checking them over, and they're kind of, like, talking about what they're gonna, what they're gonna be doing, and they hear all of this stuff happening, and then they basically, I think Tim is wearing his night vision goggles, and, uh, like, he's, he doesn't want to see the, uh, Edry just get finished off, so he, like, turns away really quickly and it kind of like swings and I guess the night vision goggles aren't like secured and they fall off and they they, they bounce off of something and hit the ground and uh, the the baby Rex uh, hears hears that sound and then starts coming to look for them oh uh, what one thing really quickly that I, I want to hit here uh, before we go back to the control room actually is that um, uh, Dr. Sattler and uh, and uh, and Dr. Hard Harding are and uh, I, and I think Gennaro uh, are in a in a one of the one of the vehicles and they hear over the radio um, this garbled trans uh, transmission that is indicating that the tour cars are stuck 
and that they need to go get the jeep or Muldoon needs to, wants to get the jeep to, to go pick them up on the way home and uh, or to, to bring them back to the base um, at this point I don't think Dr. Settler and, and that, that group they I don't think they really realize um, what's happening so they're they're just they're not sure why uh, uh, Arnold is is like he's he's so freaked out about things so they're like uh, okay well I guess if it's that big a deal we'll go back um, and then we're back in the control room and um, we get we get a nice little scene of Hammond being an angry little man and stamping his feet and yelling at people you know hope because that's that's gonna that's gonna fix everything um, actually I think Arnold in fact makes a comment about that and not like I think that he says out loud but I think it's like Arnold thought you know and he's yeah. thinking he's he's uh, thinking about um, how you know people in management they they think yelling and screaming will will change will change things but really especially when you're dealing with tech um, you know you're you know it, it's going to if anything it just makes things worse because they need to they he needs to be calm and you know more like analytical when he's trying to go back through the code to see uh, what exactly Nedry has, has done. Um, so I think, I think then that, but that's, that's, it's a pretty short sequence. Cause then we're right back out to, uh, uh, Muldoon and Gennaro. That's, that, that's right. I'm, I'm just, as I'm flipping through here, Muldoon and Gennaro went together and they, they, uh, they're, they're going out in the Jeep and, uh, you know, they, they go, they, and they see, uh, a leg, you know, in, in the middle of the road. Uh, and they notice it's, it has one of Ed Regis's shoes. And uh, so Gennaro's freaking out. But uh, Muldoon is, you know, he's, he's, he's kind of in his element here. So he's just, like, examining the, the limb. And uh, he notices, uh, kind of interestingly, that the limb was not bitten off necessarily. But it was kind of just, like, torn off. So it just... This is the, not not uh, Crichton is not really a blood and guts guy so much, but he does he does get you know in moments like this he he does paint uh, often pretty vivid kind of kind of gross pictures, um, but anyway they they kind of they see the they see the leg, and um, shortly thereafter they see the uh, the the crashed Land Cruisers. And so uh, Muldoon, he's he's poking around the the wreckage, and uh, Gennaro is is uh, you know reacting normally. He's kind of the audience insert. He's like he's he's shocked and horrified. And uh, but Muldoon, he's being very analytical, and he sees um, Tim's watch, which, as Dusty mentioned earlier, actually has some relevance because he reasons um, that. If if they found this the broken watch, it's it's a it's a good it's a good indicator that Tim, it, at least Tim, is of sound mind and body enough that he he's able to make the determination. I I don't really need this watch. It's broken anyway, um, and that he's at least reasonably in good shape. So they're they're kind of like they're kind of so Muldoon kind of starts doing a little bit of tracking. 
Gennaro, of course, he's also um, he's a little bit of a pessimist, and he's he's not really sure that um, that anybody survived. And this is kind of a, a moment where we kind of see Gennaro. He his character kind of starts. Uh, I would say he starts a, a different arc here, whereas before he was kind of like sleazy lawyer guy. He kind of starts a semi redemption arc. Uh, in this latter part of the book. Um, and he kind of like has this uh, realization in this moment. As they're going to go look for the kids. That he's like I really ha- I have to get out of here. And I have to go down. Go back to the uh, th- to the law office. And we're going to close down the park. Anyway so they're, they're just kind of tracking. And um, they're, they're, they're not able to like get a really good read on where the kids went. But they're increasingly convinced that both kids survived. So they're getting ready to radio back to try to uh, organize a a search of the entire park. When they hear uh, Malcolm wheezing in the bushes. And um, they, they go, they run over to him. And they see he is in shock. And he's pretty badly hurt, but he's, he's still alive. So they, uh, they basically, they, they come to the conclusion like, well, obviously it would be good to get the kids out and Dr. Grant, but we can't find them right now. We do have Dr. Malcolm here, and if we leave to go find the kids or do anything else other than just bring back Malcolm right now, he's going to die. So they go ahead and just, in that moment, they make the determination we're just going to try to get Malcolm back and get him stable. Um, so they're, they're loading him up and they, they talk to him a little bit and Malcolm basically says, um, that one of the last things he, he saw or last things that he remembers was that, that, uh, at least Lex had survived the attack. Uh, he, that from when the, cause the, the T-Rex, if you remember from the last episode, it kind of attacked their car, uh, before, spotting Malcolm and then chasing him and then flinging him up into the air and, and all that. Uh, but that's that's really all he remembers because uh, he pretty much blacked out shortly thereafter. Anyway, so they get back, or we go we, we cut back to uh, I think this is Control again. <laughs> and then and then... Uh, no, 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 Daniel, Dan, it, it's, it's Control. Yes, it's not Control again, it's control yeah we have Hammond and um he's he's kind of like eating some ice cream as he is wont to do when Gennaro kind of like bursts in and Gennaro's like a little appalled that he's uh that he's he's just eating ice cream and everything is basically just the whole the whole park is is basically in total chaos and uh, Hammond, he he does this thing here. He's like, he's ex- he's he's downplaying the uh, the danger and downplaying everything that happened. Even though a couple scenes ago he was freaking out and stomping around, uh, he's he's uh, but he's like, no, it was, it's just a little breakdown. Um, you know, there was like a storm, and it's kind of sad that you know, Doctor or not Doctor uh, Ed Regis, he's dead, and you know. Malcolm got a little injured, but it's going to be okay. Um, 
you know, Arnold, he's he's doing everything to, that he can up in the computers. And Muldoon's going to figure out the kid situation pretty soon. Meanwhile, with Arnold, um, he's, he's having to look uh, back at the code. And uh, at this point, we start to see uh, Dr. Doctor Wu start to um, kind of like pop in a little bit. I, I thought that I thought this was kind of strange, like this idea that Doctor Wu is becomes like the secondary computer guy. Well, I, I think that that does track because in the introduction, it talks about how scientists have become uh, more uh, modern. I guess they use computers; they don't do it for the the science; they do it for the money. You know, blah blah blah. So it does make sense that, at least as far as I am, I understand it, that Wu is a little more tech savvy than um, I guess you would expect for a scientist, especially since um, the DNA has to be all be done on computers, and he has to have like higher computations going than just physical lab experiments. So I, I can buy it. Yeah. Well, I mean that's all well and good, but they're like looking at code, you know, which you know I can, I can buy a scientist or anybody really being like tech savvy enough to like go through menus and like figure out like like GUI software, you know. So that's, uh, although that probably wasn't really much of a thing now that I think about it, at the time this book was written. Um, but. But to go into the code is kind of interesting anyway. It's not, again, not impossible, but I, I thought that was, I think it was just, if, if nothing else, it just, it provides like the, like more than one character and it's not just Arnold stare, was staring at the screen frowning, you know, the whole time. Um, anyway, so they're looking at the code and I think it's actually Wu that, um, that reminds him that they have a keylogger program uh, set up and they were able to, uh, to review pull the log and see what Nedry was doing during the day. And um, they're reading the log, and it's it's clear that uh, Nedry was kind of just, like, misleading them. He's, it wasn't, he wasn't really doing too much. And then until, you know, he's getting ready to disappear, in which case he, he ran a program that uh, turned off the park security systems. So they realized that Nedry, Ned, Nedry was the person that sabotaged the security systems, um, and so they're they're uh, they're they're like looking into the the fallout of all that, and Arnold's trying to turn stuff back on, and and Wu, um, he realizes in that moment that somebody's uh, accessed the freezer. I think they're 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 looking at some of the the, the log of the. Um, they're they're looking at the the log of like like the the doors and and all that stuff opening and closing. He sees that somebody's gotten into uh, where the embryos are, so he goes to go take care of that. Uh, also, when when uh, Doctor Wu he's he's looking into the the uh, somebody entering to look at the embryos, he he realizes that uh, Doctor Grant was not in fact uh, just making stuff up, and that there was uh, significant amounts of frog DNA. In uh, in each of the uh, the the dinosaurs that they've that it was speculated have started uh, breeding naturally in the park. Uh, and then I think we go back to the um, the what is it called the bungalow or whatever, and uh, you know we're we're back with Doctor Sadler. She's uh, 
she's back in the bungalow and she's you know getting ready to i think she's getting ready to like get changed or something when uh uh muldoon knocks on her door and he he's like hey um we found malcolm he's he's in bad shape um we kind of need some help you know taking care of him while we're while we're looking for uh grant and and the kids um so they have dr harding i forget what his job was he was the vet yeah he was the vet so dr harding (laughs) decides to be a vet for humans today um and and uh do do first aid for for malcolm um and then there's this kind of like moment where she's like she's like oh man this is uh this is this is really bad but I know Dr. Grant has gotten himself out of some bad situations before, so I know he'll do it again. And I'm like, what? <laughs> what situation has has, doc, has Dr. Grant been in that's, like, anything close to this where he could be, like, torn to shreds by, like, by, like, a, a dinos- by dinosaurs? Like, the, nothing that, I, I guarantee you, nothing that Dr. Grant has done in his life has prepared him for this moment essentially well i mean you know he had to he had to climb the grand canyon uphill both ways in the snow with broken legs so i mean he should be fine that's true his his ability to to walk with broken legs is really gonna save him from being torn asunder by two t-rexes and and innumerable uh velociraptors but I anyway uh we cut we cut back to Grant and the kids and uh Lex is getting she becomes rather peevish in this section of the book. Yeah. She is constantly complaining. She is frequently saying that she is hungry. Um not not the best hang Lex. Like I got to say. I mean, you got to give her a little bit of grace cuz she's a kid, but man, just just oh it's just like, come on, Lex. Time and a place. Time and a place. We're, uh, so anyway, they're they're kind of like they're they're heading back. You know, the the kids are bickering. Um, Lex is complaining. Doctor Grant is questioning his decisions and his life. Uh, when they notice that these motion trackers um, are labeled, and they kind of, I I don't quite remember how. I think they they realize that they're labeled they're oriented like they their their numbers are increasing as they're walking along so so they feel like they need to follow the 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 increasing numbers to try to uh, to try to get out of the park. I'm not sure why they decide that. Um, so what what it was I, I feel was like it, uh, what it was was he was following it and it was like as uh, it was like S five S four S three S two S one and then it transferred to N one N two N three. So he realizes that like they're they're marked from their 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 um uh their cardinal direction. So they were they're heading north because they've now hit uh, essentially the middle of the park and they have now gone from the south southern half to the northern half. And we know that the resort is in the northern part of the the of the the island. So he's like, okay, well we're heading the right way because we're heading generally towards the the resort. Okay, well then that's that's why I just remember it being like I don't remember the them going back and seeing the S ones. I just remember like N three and N four, and I'm like, is that really how they decide? But yeah, that makes a lot more sense. 
anyway, so they're they're kind of they're walking along. Um, Lex decides to try to pass out. She's she's tired and she just wants Doctor Grant to carry her, which um, I don't know. I guess is like that's that's kind of putting a lot of that's gonna put a lot of strain on Doctor Grant heading out for a while. Like, how big are children? She's like probably like forty to sixty pounds, right? Yeah, that's probably a safe assumption. I mean, that's not like a ton, but that's gonna you're gonna get tired carrying that, especially if it's not like carried securely if you're like got that in your arms that's gonna that's gonna wear on you after a while but anyway they they, kind of have this as a a moment where where uh, dr grant and tim they're kind of going back and forth and we learn a little bit about each character um and we kind of learn about their their inner life um tim is talking about how his parents are getting divorced and uh you know it's it's been kind of hard on the kids but he he is kind of like he's made his peace with it he's he doesn't really get along with his dad so he's kind of he's just kind of okay with it and he kind of uh insinuates that dr grant and uh dr settler are going to be married at some point and um dr grant's like no my my wife died a long time ago and uh, Dr. Sadler, she's engaged to a doctor in Chicago. And uh, Tim's like, huh, okay. <laughs> um, and then they're, they're basically, they're, they're keep going. And they, they're, I th- is this the part where they, they, they find the, um, uh, they're, they're, they start looking for the shed? Yeah, so they they're gonna uh, he he climbs the tree and he sees the the shed. That's right, uh, Doctor Grant. He he climbs the the tree, um, which Lex is freaking out over, and he's like, "No, it's okay. Let me just climb the tree, and I'm gonna find us a, a place where we could stop and rest." And um, so they they. Uh, he he sees he sees a a shed around a half a mile away or something like that, you know, in between, like just outside of like where the the Tyrannosaurus area is. And so they they get there, they get to the fence, and uh, they they climb they climb over the fence and into the moat, and uh, they they uh, they eventually they make their way. And they, they go into the the little shed, and basically they collapse from exhaustion. Um, I think, the, if I remember correctly, Grant makes this decision, because I know there's kind of like a time crunch, because they're trying to get back to get on the radio so they can uh, radio the boat, like, hey, don't dock anywhere because you have dinosaurs on your boat, and you need to, you need to stop. Was it like, how many hours did they have left at this point? Was it... I want to say it was something like, like twelve or fifteen or something. How long the trip was going to take? No, like how long? How, yeah, yeah. Well, I guess technically, yeah. They were, they were, they were like. I forget how they 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 calculated it, but Doctor Grant was like, "Oh, it's going to take them a certain amount of time now that they've left um, the island to get back to the mainland." I think he asked either Regis. I think he asked Regis, and Regis told him like eighteen hours. Okay. Well, they have, like... They have a decent amount of time. Like, like 15 to 12 hours. So, Dr. Grant's like, 
Okay, well, I'm exhausted and injured, so I'm just going to crash um, here in this maintenance shed. And he and he kind of, like, drifts off to sleep. Right. So, at, at this point, uh, Arnold, is, has, he's figured out the uh, the kill code, so to say, for Nedry's, um, well, what do you call it, a, a white rabbit? Uh, so he yeah. he activates it. It's gonna it, it's it's a sneaky little thing because when you activate the kill code, it deletes all of the um, the code that uh, associated with it. So if Nedry would have been able to get back and activate it, he would have essentially wiped all trace of of his subterfuge. So they do that. It gets the system back on, and things start kind of popping up. They 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 see that the uh, uh, the lights are coming back on. The motion trackers are back on. The the lights start blipping up to show the dinosaurs. But um, they see that there's like three spots where the fence is down. One of which being the when the T Rex knocked it down, and did the attack. And you know it's like okay, we're gonna have to tackle these problems as we can. Some of the dinosaurs have now been displaced, so that's something we need to, um, to deal with as well. Uh, so yeah, at this point. Uh, they can't see Grant or the kids, and Gennaro uh, decides he's gonna go check on Malcolm. Malcolm is hopped up on a lot of morphine and is uh, in good spirits, considering. Basically, he's just like, "Yeah, you know, this morphine's great. Could do with some more. Uh, probably gonna die, but you know what? It's all good. You gotta just kind of take what you can get." And they reference this thing called the um, the Malcolm effect. Which uh, we'll get a little more info from in a bit. Uh, yeah, uh, Malcolm talks more about his um, encounter with the T Rex, how it, it, it bit him and it picked him up and it slung him around and threw him. And because I guess animals that large don't have powerful jaws, uh, they rely more on brute force and uh, motion, like like twisting and spinning and all that to uh, to kill and eat their victims. So that's why the bite was not that bad, but the broken leg is a lot worse. So, yeah, at this point, uh, Muldoon, he goes out with a crew to, to fix one of the fences. Uh, the, a tree fell on it, and nobody listens to the experts because they're supposed to have these, like, pa these, like plastic and, um, like, ceramic parts for, like, the wires and whatnot to hold the tree up. So that what happened doesn't happen which was a metal wire hit the fence and caused a short circuit whatever it's one of the, it shouldn't be a tough fix but you know ah these people don't listen eh, this could have been avoided um so yeah arnold uh back in the control room again arnold is talking to uh gennaro and he's explaining the malcolm effect which is basically it's almost kind of like a, a murphy's law but for computer systems or just maybe systems in general, on how, like, basically, things are going to go wrong. And th th so, if in the movie, there's the whole bit where um, Malcolm is explaining chaos theory to Ellie, and he uses the whole thing where the drop of water on my hand, you don't, the, the chaos is that you don't know where the water is going to fall down your hand. Uh, it's actually Arnold explaining that to. Gennaro and using that to talk about the Malcolm effect and how Malcolm see like the, their system is that drop of water basically and the Malcolm effect is a steep drop 
that causes an acceleration of the droplet of water in this metaphor and if that happened in the system it would cause an absolute system collapse that would be catastrophic to say the least for the park and, and Arnold is being very very snotty in this part I did not care for his tone here yeah he's basically just like yeah but but Malcolm didn't take into the account that uh, we know what we're doing and he's just a theoretician so he doesn't know what he's talking about and Gennaro's like he gave you his report and he's like yep and we just promptly ignored it because this is a living system we have accounted for these things so there's no way anything can go wrong because we are smart uh, that Again, that was I, I, I was not a fan of Arnold's tone in this whole section. It was like I none of the none of the things he was saying really made any sense to me. It was like this idea that he was like he's like living system versus a theoretical system and living systems are more predictable for some reason. It's like um what? <laughs> are you sure about that? I don't know. Yeah. It was it was it was uh it was pretty baffling, um, Arnold's Arnold's uh, hubris in this moment after getting snowed by like the world's most mediocre uh, con man in in Nedry, and then well, he makes a huge mistake here that comes to light later. We'll we'll get to it when we get to it. Yeah. So yeah, we get we get the idea of the the Malcolm effect, which is basically just your system's gonna fail because chaos it's like everything with malcolm it's there's not really that much of an explanation other than because chaos so whatever it is what it is i guess so you just have to believe that dr malcolm is smart they they don't actually do a very good job of explaining anything about the the the, the math or the underpinning stuff you just you just kind of have to believe that Dr. Malcolm is very smart. Yeah, Michael Crichton kind of handles Ian Malcolm in a... Uh, Ian Malcolm is very smart. Source? Trust me, bro. Which, I mean, he is... Like, Malcolm is, is very correct in, like, every sense. Like, everything happens the way that Malcolm fears it will. So Malcolm is, like... In a, in, 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 a, in a metaphorical sense, Malcolm does get the last laugh in this novel. Um, but a lot of it, at least as I understand it, is very much a trust me bro kind of thing. Uh, it's fine though. He's it, it, it's, it's fun to read Malcolm because he's such a fun character and he's so ridiculous that it's just like, yeah, you know what? I trust you. It's cool. Whatever. <laughs> but anyways, um, yeah, so... Harding and Hammond are overseeing relocations of the displaced animals, and Hammond is being his own Hammond self, where he's just like, I'm going to tell you what to do, even though I have no idea what I'm talking about, and you're the expert, but I know better than you anyways, and Harding is pissed off at Hammond because Hammond is Hammond, and you know, basically they, they, they relocate one of the animals, and Hammond is just trying to micromanage it, as m managers do. Uh... You know, he's just, he's a little shithead. That's, that's basically that. Um, back in the control room, Arnold notices that uh, the T-Rex has knocked down the fence to the sauropod. Uh, no, the sort Was it the sauropod? What? Yeah, it was the sauropod. Yeah, the sauropod paddock. Which is, you know, if you if you paying attention, it's, it's, it's where Grant and the kids are right now. And they're like, ah... 
it's gonna kill one of the had hadrosaurs hadrosaur yes that uh hammond's just like no you can't let it kill one of my dinosaurs go get it right now and Muldoon is like, uh, yeah, you, how, how you how you want me to take that T-Rex down? And he's like, oh, you got weapons? And he's like, yeah, I asked for three, and you made me only get one. And Nedry took it, so, um... This is your problem, Hammond. Like, you're just gonna have to deal with it, because you're a little bitch, and you won't let me do things the way correctly, so now you're gonna have to deal with the consequences of that. And Hammond's just like, you're saying over, Muldoon. And Muldoon's like, yes, it is. And he leaves. But, of course, John Hammond has to have the last word because he's a little shit heel. And so, yada, yada, yada. John Hammond sucks. Muldoon's awesome. That's that's the real that's the real crux of this. And well, I, I remember I, I, I didn't have, like, a super strong opinion on Muldoon the first time uh, I read this book. Um, I, 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 I like him a lot so far now. Like, this, this time around, I, I like him a lot more. Yeah. Then I remembered liking him. Muldoon has always been one of my favorite characters in the book, and uh, there's a lot there's a lot as to why, other than him just being a general badass that doesn't really give a shit about what Hammond says, and he's going to do things his way, and he's going to get results. And there there's some, a bit we'll cover in uh, in ne- next week in the final episode of just uh, just an example of Muldoon being an absolute badass and just mmm he's so cool. I love Muldoon in the book. I like him in the movie, too, but I, I feel like he... It's not that he gets underutilized in the movie. It's just he gets utilized differently in the movie, and it works for the movie, and it's great in the movie, and it's sad in the movie. But, yeah, Muldoon is just... He's he's so cool in the book, and he's just... I don't know. I, I love Muldoon in the book. He's such a great character, and we'll, we'll talk more so about why a little bit in a little bit here and also next week. Um, so, yeah, uh... T Rex is in the in the paddock with the, with the kids and Grant and uh oh you know it's building tension is if you've been paying attention you're like oh shit it followed them and so now it's uh when they turn the power back on it cut back to Grant for a minute uh he had only been asleep for like a couple minutes and he's like oh the power's back on I should go and wave at uh one of those uh, motion sensors so they can get down to us. Uh, gonna try and get a little bit more sleep first, though. I'll do it in a minute. Yeah, just, 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 just a minute. I'll, I'll do it in a minute. So dawn happens, and he wakes up, and he's like, "Oh wow, um, oops, I slept all night." And uh, he's still got time, though. Still hasn't hit the eighteen hours yet. I think he said they have somewhere in the ballpark of like three or f- three hours, maybe five, uh, until the eighteen hours has passed. Uh, Lex is feeding a. Triceratops baby. Doctor Grant confirmed uh, procrastinator. <laughs> yeah, right. Uh, Lex is feeding a baby uh, Triceratops that she's named Ralph because he's ugly like the kid Ralph in her class. Uh, Tim is uh, taking his little morning pee break, and then the 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 mama Triceratops comes and they leave and they're like, "All right, time to go." So they're. they're... I, I'm just saying it would that that was, that part was very cute. I. I, I think it would be very nice to... I, I do not support the idea of a Jurassic Park, but it would be very cute to feed a little Triceratops some hay while it happily squeaks and joyfully plays. I thought that was... That was actually... Uh, Crichton, to his credit, does a really good job of making the dinosaurs seem real and give them, like... Like, a, like they, they feel very real and they, they feel very, like, vivid. 
I don't know. I just I just I, I just wanted to point that out because I I think I don't know if we have as that much, but just, like Crichton does a really really good job of writing the dinosaurs. Yeah, in this book. I agree. I said previously, and I stand by this, that the idea of Jurassic Park could theoretically work as long as you kept it with just the herbivores. And yeah, as Hammond says, I think Hammond says later on, or no, it might have been, no, it was it was Arnold. It was Arnold to Muldoon later on. Uh, the T-Rex is the biggest attraction. That's what people are going to want to come for. And it's like, yeah, realistically, people in that situation would want to see the raptors and the T-Rexes, which I feel like part of that would be in our in our world uh, heightened because of Jurassic Park. But even even still, that that notwithstanding, generally speaking, people are gonna want to see the big dangerous thingies. Um, so I get it, but I feel like even still, if you were able to genetically create dinosaurs, like I said, if you made it just the herbivores, it'd be a lot more manageable. Any problems with the animals themselves would be a lot easier to fix and handle than having gigantic walking kill machines that are, let's be real here, generally speaking, much higher on the food chain than us, unless we are come, like, you know, loaded for bear against them, which... John you have Hammond to come is... more than loaded for bear, loaded for T-Rex. Ha ha ha. Which, of course, John Hammond is not, not, not down with. To, to, to pull, to pull a Malcolm here, I just, I just think that there's no way, um, there's just no way to know fully what what uh what bringing back an extinct species like like a dinosaur that is so distantly removed from from our world that i just feel like you're you're just opening too big of a door something like a kiwi or like a tasmanian tiger is that the one that that went extinct i i don't know i I think so i anything that's gone extinct in the last two to four hundred years I'm kind of like okay. That's there's probably a bigger window I can give, but like that's that it's so recent that I it's it's still basically adapted to the world as we understand it. And it, I mean, obviously, climate change changes stuff, and but y- you know what I mean. Like like generally speaking, you know, it's it's not going to cause like like anything that's I I don't think anyway it would cause any major like ecosystem disruptions whereas i'm just like you start introducing something from like millions of years ago that just comes from a fundamentally different time in the world i i just don't know i just feel like there's just too i I don't know too much that could go wrong yeah to be fair i do think the tasmanian tiger went extinct after the playstation 2 so back in the control room uh we spend a lot of time here if you haven't noticed uh Arnold has been working all night. Phones still aren't working. Woo's just like, hey, have you tried doing a hard reset? Have you tried turning it off and on again? And uh, maybe that'll fix... That, that should fix the phones because it'll essentially do a, a hard reset. It'll wipe the, 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 the RAM, more or less. And uh, everything will come back online. And Arnold's like, yeah, I could do that, but uh, never have before. So I don't know if that might cause some problems. But they don't really have a choice, so especially because Malcolm needs a doctor because it's a good chance he's septic because of his leg. And if you don't know, being septic means your blood is poison. Needless to say, that's not conducive yeah. to living. Uh, so it's it's basically, do you want to 
kill Malcolm, or do you want to take the risk and reset the system so that we can actually get the phones working? So, Arnold. I think like, it's yeah. actually Gennaro that's really making this co- this push here to be like, we have to ch- we have to do it because if we don't, Malcolm is going to die. Which is very strange because no- lawyers aren't human. So this is a very human moment for Gennaro. It's like I said, this is his, this is the the Gennaro. He's having a little bit of a moment here. Yeah. I, I do like uh, Gennaro in the books. In the movie, he's just, you know, generic lawyer man who gets eaten on the toilet. Uh, but book Gennaro... He, he, he's okay. I think I think he kind of redeems himself by the end. He's, he is kind of annoying, like... Like the the like standard stereotype of a lawyer at first, but he kind of like he kind of brings it back around. Yeah. So he does that, and the system reset. They have to, they have to do all of the the they have to manually turn all of the systems back on one by one. But it looks like it has worked. So, yay! Uh, S- S- Jurassic Park is officially back online, more or less. And so now Grant and the kids, they're like, all right, we got—we should be in the clear. We got to get back to the place. We got to warn them before the boat and all that, the raptors, yada, yada. And then suddenly, boom, all of the duck-billed hadrosaurs just start piling out of the woods or the field or whatever. It's a massive stampede. And uh, T-Rex is causing it. It's chasing them down. So Grant and the kids have to run. And they essentially throw themselves on these boulders as a form of uh, cover, which I I, I don't I, I ain't no uh, I I ain't anybody who's ever been in a stampede before. But I I it seems like at first they put themselves up against the boulder and then climbed up later. And yeah, generally speaking, I feel like animals are going to move around the obstacle in their path but if one didn't really have that like coordination or something happened and it slammed into the boulder that's the giant creature slamming into them instead so i feel like the best well one does doesn't it like it like scrapes against uh if i if i remember correctly one like they they mentioned that one one bounces off the boulder yeah i think Not it like bounces off them this- yeah, the side. Yeah, and uh, one's like tail slaps into it later on too, and it like leaves a blood mark. But like, I feel like the best course of action would either be to get on top of it as soon as possible to avoid that possibility, or get on to the get up against the opposite side of it because there's going to be that that space. They're not gonna they're not gonna come around it and then immediately cut back in along the boulder. There's gonna be that gap past the boulder where there are there the the gap closes so i feel like if they put their backs against the boulder on the opposite side that would probably be the safest spot for it but what do i know i've never been in a stampede so i can't i'm just i'm spitballing here well to be fair you're not a paleontologist i am not i also don't have dinosaur on the brain and i also don't have a dad that loves me so what do i know and you are still not a fan of the mets no i'm not could have let you could have let you slide if you were a Mets fan, but... Maybe. Uh, so, yeah, the, the stampede passes. They're like, okay, we got to take cover in the trees. So they go up into the trees, and Grant, really slacking, man. Really slacking on the job here as a babysitter. He falls asleep again. <laughs> Jeez, man, you have one Doc- job. Dr. Grant, 
Dr. Grant taking some L's here in this in this portion of the book. No, Dr. Grant's taking some Z's here. <laughs> so he wakes up a little later. Um, there's a uh, a dinosaur. I, I don't remember what kind. I, I'm bad with these names. It's like a Maya Maya Taisosaur. It means mother it... something. Yeah, it was like the good mother dinosaur because they found it and it was like close to its young or something like it was it was some, it was something like that something that didn't seem very impressive but yeah. i guess is impressive it's the type of dinosaur that never needs to go out and get a gallon of milk at nine o'clock at night let he who has not made cookies at nine o'clock at night cast the first stone so Grant has the realization that uh, it's more of a reaffirmation of the realization that some some dinosaurs require movement in order to see, like frogs. So, um, which I mean, it doesn't look like the T Rex got the frog DNA though, because it was only the ones that were able to breed, and the T Rexes weren't uh, one of the ones that were able to breed. So I don't know how that applies because even they say later on some dinosaurs uh don't see without movement and others apparently can uh it kind of picks and chooses based on dr Wu's unintentional uh meddling so this these are one of the ones that it works like that and grant tests it by essentially fucking with it. He coughs and it's just like what's that what's that what's going on what's going on who's there who's there who's okay it's nothing and it goes back to eating <laughs> he he's he goes like straight up skyrim guard Who's there? Must have been the wind, with like an arrow sticking out of his head. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I think uh, I think these dinosaurs got their um, attentiveness from the uh, the genome soldiers. Yeah, that, that's the, the, yeah. He's the they're the, the this that that was the doctor doctor Wu's sideline is uh, his side hustle was creating the genome soldiers. Yeah. Lex ain't having any of this. She's impatient. She's like, I am getting down, and that's the end of it. So, you know, they, she, they scare the dinosaurs away because Lex is a little impatient and a little child. And uh, Tim's like, hey, that building we were in had a raft. We could take the river. That would be cool. And Grant's like, yeah, that would save us a lot of time, actually, because the river would um, be faster than walking, and it would take us... He remembers seeing on the map that it would take them close to the, to the resort anyways, so let's do that they go back to the building again there's no raft and uh tim's like oh i figured there would be and grant's like you you, you didn't see one he's like no nah, i just i just assumed but he finds uh grant finds a blueprint that shows that there is a um down by the lagoon there is a a house that has raft storage so they're gonna head down there I thought that was very strange. Is like this idea of like I just assumed they would have rafts. Is like, what? <laughs> Why would you assume they have rafts? Like, have you ever been to a national park where they're like, or like, or like not a more 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 likely a, like an amusement park or something like that? Why would he? I just don't understand why he would assume they would have rafts. That's yeah. why I, I was with I was with the kids. I was like, wait, you don't know that they have rafts? Because it's just. I don't know. That's just such a weird thing to assume. Yeah. So they go down there uh, to try and get to the house, and uh, there's bad smell, and there's a stench in the air, and 
I just the 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 imagery that Crichton uses to describe this, I just find it really funny. It, the T Rex is passed out, sleeping against the tree, with the half-eaten uh, body of the Hadra the Hadrosaur. That one. Um, and uh, it's it's passed out, but it's it's sleeping with its eyes open, and its its jaw it's got it's like slack jawed, and it's snoring, and I just I don't know just the imagery of it sitting on its on its basically sitting on its ass with its back against a tree, eyes wide open, mouth slack, just going like just snoring. It's just I I don't know. It just it's the least intimidating way to see a T Rex. I feel, and I I just get a chuckle, and it it it, it gets its little tiny arms to swat. So it says it swats at like all of the flies that are flying around its face. As we see T Rexes in the movies and things, their arms are super tiny. I'm just imagining that its arms still couldn't even reach its face, so it's like waving its hand, like fruitlessly in the direction of its face, but still coming up like a, a couple feet short, it's going like, eh, trying to like wave wave the gnats away. It's probably not that how it works. That is exactly, yeah, exactly how it happens. I, I don't know I again this is this is kind of what we were saying earlier it's just he he writes these dinosaurs that, with that a lot of personality yeah but I, I I've alluded to it in the past this is one of the more memorable moments in the book for me you know it has been since my my first time through it so the, he finds a raft inflates it it's making way more noise than he'd like gets the paddles gets the kids gets some life preservers for them and uh uh, throws them into the thing and they're paddling out and of course it's it's now of all moments where lex gets a little tickle in her throat and she has to cough and i swear to god this 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 girl's got some lungs on her because that cough probably was heard in san jose the way that Crichton writes it <laughs> like jesus i've never heard a child cough that loud before <laughs> how, how does, he was a doctor how, how does um an inflatable raft breaking open slamming it in the ground all these things make less noise than an eight-ish year old girl coughing i i, I man just uh got well, some- i have some some relatives that are teachers and they've told me that too they're like kids kids cough in a, the most dramatic way possible they're like yeah. you know they're, they're, they're like they're like they'll love like embellish it they make a whole production out of it so in a weird way it kind of rang true to me like this idea of this kid having like the worst cough of all time yeah what's that there's a t-rex that's actively stalking us and trying to eat us on our trail that better just really emphasize this cough that i suddenly have like man lex is just she's really inconvenient uh, she's kind of she's kind of a liability in this portion. She's not she's not really uh, she's she's to to put it in a term she would uh, understand. She's she's below replacement level here. <laughs> so of course that wakes the T Rex up. Grant's just paddling as fast as he oh geez oh, this sucks got to get out and uh, man just one, once again great imagery from Crichton here. The T Rex sees them gets up and starts walking into the water basically reenacting that scene from pirates of the caribbean they're just just walking all along the bottom of the ocean until um it gets too deep and then it just starts swimming like a crocodile and you see it's you just see its head peeking out over uh over the top of the water you occasionally see its its tail swishing the water up and it's just 
it's just closing the distance to them and it's like man that's just terrifying imagine how powerless you'd feel in that situation just like ugh. yeah yeah that, that would be he does yeah it's just it's just like reading back this section this time you really i remember enjoying the story the first time around but you really he really does a great job of like building this sense of like impending dread you know yeah yeah, and uh, it almost gets them. Like it, 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 uh, it misses. It launches them in the air from below. It's about to get them and all, and then all of a sudden, uh, little little juvenile T Rex is like, "Whoa, a dead body!" <laughs> Dibs, and uh, the 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 adult T Rex ain't have any of that. So it's just like, I'm about to have a new meal here, but um. You know, I ain't about to let that little bite, little 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 asshole steal my kills. Bleh. He's like, I ain't about to have that little asshole steal my kill. So just turns around, just rockets back and just chases him away, <laughs> and that gives yeah, them the they, time to escape. Yeah, basically they are they are saved by the the, the young T Rex because the way Crichton was writing it, it was like basically they were dead. They were like like a minute or less away from death. And uh, they they have Deus Ex Tyrannosaurus Rex here. I was gonna say Deus Ex Juvenile. <laughs> yeah, basically. Yeah. Um. In the meantime, uh, Muldoon and Gennaro make it to the the paddock where the stampede happened. They're just looking around for any signs of the T Rex. They don't have any plan right now. Just let's find it. Uh, in the meantime. Arnold has been searching for Nedry's Jeep that he took uh, with the the cameras and all that fun stuff. He finds it and he sends them to it and they find Nedry's body being um, taken over by the compies and uh, man, Muldoon just doesn't care just walks over grabs his rocket launcher, puts it in the car just like, alright, let's hit it and Gennaro's like, what are we gonna do? What, what, What about him? And Muldoon's like what about him? It's like, you know what? I'm with you, man. Fuck Dennis Nedry. Like, dudes, dudes caused a majority of the issues that are happening right now. Let the compies have him. <laughs> yeah, like he's he's uh, he he is incredibly blasé about about uh, if anything, you're actually kind of underselling it. How much he he was like fully willing to let Nedry just just be eaten his corpse anyway it's just it's it it's very um it's very interesting just he he has a very um that that kind of like action hero-esque like indifference to like to life and death kind of thing going on you know he's i don't know he's 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 kind of got like a like a like a clint eastwood in the good, the bad, and the ugly type situation going on here. Yeah, but uh, yeah, at this point they're they're going down the river. The Grant and the kids, their kids are bickering as you do. Um, are we there yet? Etc. Cetera, Etc. Cetera. Yeah. Oh, I wish Dad was here. Oh, Dad doesn't even like you as much as me. Like you know, just kids going through a divorce. You know, it's, just, it's, it's what it's what what you do, and. Uh, 
the the river is taking them to the aviary as as grant realized earlier they're getting closer to it and he remembers they talked about how there was going to be a lodge in the aviary and uh he's like maybe they'll have a phone and we can call them so that's that's kind of the plan right now is to just make a little quick pit stop there try and get a phone then get back on the river and head to the um uh head back to the resort uh in the meantime arnold is now talking to malcolm on the phone malcolm's being his malcolm self he's just you know he's like oh you can't find dinosaurs or or grant the kids uh maybe it's because your system's stupid and uh arnold's like no my system's great it covers 92 percent of the island he's like yep that's what i mean maybe that the uh maybe the dinosaur and the kids are in the eight percent Arnold's like, that'd be stupid. Why would they do that? And he's like, well, you know, I don't think Grant would do that unless he was forced to, but that would make, that would make sense why you can't find him. You know, and one of the areas that it doesn't cover is uh, the river. What are the odds? So, uh, that's, you know, uh, Malcolm assumes that's probably where they're at once again. One of the few times Malcolm shows his work, so to say. Yeah. So, once once again... Malcolm generally is always right. He was he was like half right, half wrong when he was like dinosaurs will absolutely get off the island and they already have, but uh, those baby killers weren't the dinosaurs. Don't worry about that. It's just it's just it's just a little baby flu. So he he was wrong about that, but right about the dinosaurs. But he's generally been right about everything outside of that little blemish. So you know, if, if Malcolm says something, it's probably right. Uh. <laughs> We get another case of um, Arnold in the control room setting up an impending danger for Grant and the kids, and and like, well, that, I hope they're not in that river because that leads to the aviary. And Malcolm's like, that's not that big of a deal, is it? And Arnold's like, oh yes, it is. Those pterodactyls, man, they're not actually pterodactyls, but we'll just call them pterodactyls. They're called ceratodactyls, um, something, something like that. Like that. Uh, it's like, oh yeah, they're super territorial and they'll dive bomb people if they see them. And it's not fun to have that creature dive bomb you at 30 miles an hour. So, oh, I hope to God they aren't there. So meanwhile in the aviary, <laughs> they arrive, the, 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 the resort that's supposed to be there, it's like not even half done. That's a bust. So they're like, all right, let's head back. And um, man, it's almost like this was foreshadowed or something, but they're getting attacked by the... Uh, the pterodactyls all of a sudden and they're dive bombing them and grant's like i love how grant like takes a moment in the middle of this life or death situation to just be like oh man dinosaurs are really neat aren't they oh shit <laughs> like he just he can't help him dr grant has a lot of really just bizarre thoughts in throughout throughout this book like remember the the dinosaurs are children's parents debacle like, he, he has a lot of these really bizarre moments. Like, he's generally a good character, and you like him, and you're like, you root for him. But then he genuinely has moments that's like, dude, what are you doing? I mean, to be fair, his life is dinosaurs, and he has seen them come to life. I can I can kind of forgive him having, like, a, a, a quick lapse of judgment in, in reverie of these creatures he has dedicated his life to. But it, it is just kind of funny in the moment. It's like you got a little more of a pressing matter here of a, a four giant flying rat bird dinosaurs dive bombing you and the kids. And, you know, that's probably a little more pressing than the fact that uh, they look kind of neat. 
But um, it's it's attacking them. He's doing his best to kind of deal with it. One of them picks up uh, Lex, and uh, man, Grant just turns on badass mode and just tackles the thing <laughs> just straight up. And he's like trying to push it off her, and it's like it's so confused trying to beat him away, and he pushes it off, and it's on its back, just like what the hell just happened to me. <laughs> Like it's 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 so funny just how confused it is just laying on its back trying to ride itself like a turtle and it's just like what <laughs> <laughs> so yeah once again Lex just like bolts it and they're coming after her and as I understand it she uses her baseball glove as a distractionary tactic and it works they it like catches the the baseball glove and they all just decide yeah cool bye which is <laughs> like all right. Cool, we're gonna eat this. Bot. Thanks. Good enough. <laughs> Thanks for the big old ball of leather. So that's how they deal with them, and she's all pissed about it. Oh, they, they ate my super special strawberry baseball glove. Oh, I hope... Daryl Daryl Strawberry. Daryl Strawberry. The was... I don't I don't do the baseballs, so I'll take your word for it. Um, I the I I didn't really know who he was as well. This is this is kind of neither here nor there. This is just, I've I, sometimes I listen to my Discover Weekly on Spotify, and there was this really weird rap song. Um, it's like it was like a like a lo-fi beat background, and then there, it goes into this rap, and I I just there's this one line that I just I feel like I need to share with you. It was just so bizarre. It was like. Sweeter than an Ichigo, that's a strawberry. I hit it at the park like Daryl Strawberry. <laughs> that was like the only part of the song that I really paid attention to, and it was just like, what? <laughs> so, some's just really, I. So I, I'm like, are, are are these are these bars valid or are they whack? I got I gotta go with whack here. <laughs> that was that was so that was so weird. <laughs> huh. I, I didn't know Ichigo meant strawberry. Uh, huh. I mean, obviously, Ichigo Kurosaki from Bleach, the main character of Bleach. Um, I knew that, you know, Ichi... Uh, I don't know if it's Ichi or... Well, I know Ichi is one and Go is five, and, like, you could put that together to make 15, and Ichigo and Bleach is 15 years old at the start of it, and Go is also, I think, can be used for Guardian or something. I don't... I'm not, I'm not fluent in Japanese. Forgive me if I'm getting some of these details wrong. And I don't know why I'm going on a bleach tangent, despite you saying Ichigo. Um, I just had to look that up because I was like, "Does that mean strawberry?" I know he's called the, like the Death Strawberry in 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 that because he's got strawberry blonde hair. Um, huh? I didn't know that meant strawberry. Interesting. Thank you, uh, Vapor God. You you uh, you you added some uh, some Japanese knowledge to to our our podcast. Yeah. Um, so they, they get back on the boat, on the raft, and on they go. Uh, that, that was the aviary. I do like the aviary section. It's a fun little bit that kind of, um, gets placed in between the, uh, the T-Rex sections, which the T-Rex sections are awesome. So it's a nice little, like, break in the T-Rex action for some more, like, look, dinosaurs. So, they're going down the river more, and, uh, the current's picking up. It's kind of taking them. Uh, Grant talks about the frog DNA and how, like, you know, frogs don't have sex like we have sex. Um, 
and his his nice birds and bees and the amphibians and the trees talk is interrupted by the t-rex just bursting through the trees to the side and trying to snap at them but the 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 trees are do you think do you do you think that maybe um he got a note there from his editor like like he just kept going uh, on this and he and he's just like the editor's like yeah yeah man i don't really know about this part why don't we just cut this and then we'll just have the t-rex just shoot through the shoot through the the brush here uh, I, I imagine like his editor got the notes for this section of the book and he's just like oh god I gotta stop Mikey from doing this so he's, he's like having a meeting with him he's, re- he's reading the chapter out loud and the editor's just like uh, when when he feels like the time is right the editor just bursts out just with a diet with a with a T-Rex mask and he's just like and he's just like <laughs> that's a good idea and that's just kind of how they he just changes it but yeah the T-Rex I, I... I'm sorry no go ahead yeah, the T Rex bursts through. It can't get through to them because the uh, the trees are too cl- too close together. It's too thick, and it can't really fit through. So it um, it admits defeat and just is just keeps going down, trying to push in more and more. And the river's way too narrow for Grant to do anything about it. So it's just like, oh geez, uh, hope this uh, hope this thicket holds. Um, and then uh, as they're going, they start to hear hooting. I don't think we talked about this so much during the Nedry's death scene. I don't remember if we did or not. But um, the Dilophosaurs make hooting noises. And Lex makes a comment, sounds like owls. So once again, we get Michael Crichton building the tension with uh, the if you know you know kind of thing before it happens. I think that's one of his strongest... um The strongest aspects to his writing is he just... he, He does a good job of like... Of setting up these tense scenes, kind of like, I'm, I, do you, are most of his books thrillers of one stripe or another? I'm not sure. I've only, re- I've only read Jurassic Park, so I'd like to, I'd like to Fair. rectify that down the line. But as of right now, it's, it's only been Jurassic Park. That's fair. Yeah. Um. So now we we get um. The great philosopher Ian Malcolm and the importance of humankind and their uh, ancestral primalities as opposed to the degradation of uh, the human condition due to advances in technology, which aren't really advances in technology. He's just kind of waxing philosophical to Ellie. Yeah, he's... The the guy is, is hopped up on morphine and he's like... He's like... I want to say like 70% right about the things he says like his analysis uh his historical analysis has like it's positive notes like like the end of feudalism and how he talks about that but he he's fundamentally misattributing a belief a quote-unquote belief in science as a way to explain the end of feudalism uh which I would not regard that as the reason why feudalism ended I think but he, he correctly identifies that the feudal institutions uh, were not really able to handle the the emergent uh, crises and uh, contradictions that that uh, that uh, sort of the the emergent capitalist system were bringing. But he he kind of he imputes the that to science, which just it doesn't really make sense. I mean. It, science is a part of it, right? So you, you think about 
the rise of like humanism and rationalism and and what we call uh lib- classical liberalism like that that kind of stuff um and science is a part of it but it's it's like it's like it's like an ingredient it's not the whole dish you know what i mean yeah and uh then he kind of like yeah it's it's really more like capitalism and and the the advent of like of like you know enlightenment thinking and like liberalism that kind of really like like in a proto-liberalism i suppose that kind of like brings uh feudalism to an end and it's kind of like i don't know and then he kind of he can kind of compounds this idea uh that, that he refers to the idea of science as being of a few the new hundreds of years old idea because he was talking about back in the the part where he's talking waxing about uh feudalism he's like feudalism had been around for hundreds of years and then it, it could no longer handle the contradictions and then then science came along and now science is the old idea and it's like well it's and now science is not is the old idea that doesn't fit the world and it's like well not really it's just that the the the, the systems of uh of of governance and the the like the, the, the uh, existing ideologies are no longer really able to keep up with the um, with the with the, the contradictions arising from from the the state of the world and and, and uh, I guess in um, in those times it's you can't really point the finger at something like like capitalism or like like uh, the 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 way that. I don't know, like the 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 existing forms of government in that time period, just because based on the time it came out, it was like came out during the the, the Bush one era, so right. So I'm I'm sure like a lot of people saw that and they were like, well, you know, you see the 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 collapse of like the 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 end of the Cold War. You're like, well, there there must there must not be any alternative. So there must be some if 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 it's not our system of government, it must be something else. So. I don't know that that part really struck me as very weird. Um, it's like it, again he he does, but he that's not to say he's entirely wrong, right? Because he makes some good points. Like science can tell us how to make pesticide, but cannot tell us not to use it, which is very true. Like and that, and I think really that's the crux of his point. So yeah, rather than science is a liar sometimes being the the take you should walk away from it from. I think it's it's and I think it's it's really more when you look at specifically the milieu of, of Hammond and and his park and like this this greed and this ideology. I think if you're going to point to anything like not causing the the decay and collapse of society, I would point the finger at something like that rather than this abstract idea of science, quote unquote, or you know, I, I don't know. That's that's just that's just what my takeaway from that whole spiel's and so not wholly wrong, but it's a little bit. I, I thought it, I don't know. I didn't fully agree with his analysis there, yeah. and I'm not sure whether that was like just Doctor Malcolm talking or whether that's like a little bit of like because I feel like in a few points, um, Crichton uses Malcolm as kind of his I don't want to say his self insert, but kind of like a mouthpiece for some of his ideas. You know what I mean? Yeah, he uses Malcolm to soapbox a bit. A little bit, yeah. Yeah. Um, I will say, uh, Ian Malcolm would be a champion at r slash anti work. 
he probably would actually. He would he he would be like, hmm, yes, my post got ten thousand four hundred seventy two upvotes. Hmm, mm. delightful. Mm, looks like I have enough uh, Reddit gold from these awards to last me another uh, three years of premium Reddit access. This is mm. very agreeable. Hmm. Ah. ah, thank you, kind stranger, for the gold. <laughs> yes. Um. I will. Uh, I will use this to um, further my uh, browsing potential. What What subreddits is is Doctor Ian Malcolm on? Uh, r slash i don't know if these are going to be real subreddits i'm just throwing i'm spitballing right now uh r slash chaos um <laughs> r slash sports ball bad <laughs> i don't know <laughs> uh uh this is actually i think a real one r slash science uncensored um <laughs> i don't know uh r slash I... cute you know what? I do get that sensor. I bet he... A man is probably looking at pictures of, like, cute cats. Uh, I, I do feel... I, I do feel like his, um... If you remember, uh... I, I was talking about how he had that, like... Push, push my glasses up to the bridge of my nose, turn my nose up to you. I'm actually kind of thing with this whole, like... Oh, yes, sports are very, uh just regressive to the idea of society they are very bad like they're pointless i don't know why people would go and watch people just slam into each other or throw balls down fields into hoops and baskets and goals like his whole like i'm better than sports and i'm going to let you know it thing i got a similar vibe from that when he was talking about the thin intelligent people as he called them like the scientists. oh yeah that, he was really going off on this one in this chapter like the morphine was hitting for him yeah I, I feel like this is this is this is very much like a um, uh, we're speaking like this is an IGN review where we're just like Malcolm is just speaking a bunch of nonsense. He's being really stupid, like just really being up his own ass and being all of these crazy things. Love this character, ten out of ten. <laughs> I mean, the, these things are not necessarily uh, mutually exclusive, right? He says things that are that are that i disagree with he says things that are a little bit reddit in a bad way but he <laughs> but you know, that doesn't that doesn't necessarily that doesn't necessarily mean he's not entertaining you know he's sure he's very well written and he's like he's incredibly in it he may be the the most entertaining at times you know yeah yeah he, he is really great and I, I i do wish that i could hear some of these monologues of him done by goldblum i feel like that'd be a lot of fun you know what i kind of wish I wish um, Jeff Goldblum did did the audiobook for Jurassic Park. Even though it's more Dr. Grant's story, I just would rather hear Jeff Goldblum telling telling us this story, especially just 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 for those moments when he is doing his uh, doing the the Dr. the Malcolm monologues. You know, I got I got Jay Gold on speed dial. I might see if he's up for that. <laughs> Yeah, you make sure. Yeah, you go ahead. He's he's probably not doing much anyway with the 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 actor strike. Maybe he'll maybe he can do that. Yeah. Um. Anyway, back to the story. <laughs> so, uh, Grant and the kids they're they're going down the river. They hear the hooting. Grant has the wherewithal to um grab onto a tree to to stop the the raft and just kind of slowly move it forward. And they peek over and they see two uh, Dilophosauruses. And they're doing what he comes to find out is a mating ritual, and he's once again nerding out over it. But um, it's you know they're like, oh god, how are we gonna get past them? 
and uh, something starts distracting them, and he takes this as good as chance as any. So he tells the kids to get down, cover themselves, and he just starts, you know, paddling rapidly as fast as he can to get get past them. And as they're going and passing them, with their backs turned to them, they see that the T-Rex has once again poked its head through and is trying to get at them. It's like roaring at them, and the Dilophosaurus is just standing there being like, We trying to fuck! What you doing? <laughs> and, like, it, they don't realize what it's doing, and they just slip by totally fine while the T-Rex just looks on <laughs> in just absolute irritation, and then the, the, the Dillos are looking on in irritation for a different reason, just like, We... We put the sock on the doorknob, Rex. What are you doing, man? Like, just <laughs> not having any of it. I, I, that was a very funny scene to me. Yeah. Meanwhile, uh, Gennaro and Muldoon are still trying to find the T-Rex. Now they're equipped to handle it. Um, Arnold has found it and directs them to it. And they're conveniently, like, really close to it. So they see him, you know, heading the trees, ass out, just chomping at what I can only assume is Grant and the kids going by the the Dilopsaurs. So uh, Muldoon gets his little rocket launcher with its 1,000 cc's of elephant tranquilizer or whatever and he's like alright Gennaro take the wheel uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna shoot it. And he just, just struts up to it gets ready, fires off a shot misses. Reloads it and Gennaro's like wow. He fires and he misses. It basically, I'm fired and missed. He missed. <laughs> and, uh... He missed both times. <laughs> well, did he, though? We'll get that. We'll get did back. He? We'll, I don't know. We'll, we'll, we'll get back to that. Um, yeah, Gennaro's just like, wow, uh, you missed. And <laughs> Muldoon's like, oh, this, this darn, darn red dot sight, darn laser sight, not working. And Gennaro's like, yep, sure, okay, bud. You, you, you missed. And he's like, yeah, 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 I missed, I missed. So he fires again. And Gennaro's like, wow, man, good job, you missed again. And he's like, I didn't think I missed that time. And Gennaro's like, oh, I think you did. And he's like, well, damn, I guess I did. T-Rex is like, the fuck is going on behind me? Turns around and is like, oh. <laughs> Starts chasing them, and Muldoon's like, go, 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 Jumps in and drives off, and uh, oddly enough, the T-Rex is like, uh, that's right, you, you keep running, and just turns back around and leaves them, which earlier Gennaro, or Muldoon told Gennaro that T-Rex could easily outrun them in the Jeep with, with on this type of terrain. So Yeah, I was thinking about that too. I was like, I guess he must have really just wanted to eat Lex specifically. Yeah. <laughs> I, I mean, if <laughs> I was that, I, I get it, man. I get it. She's kind of a brat. <laughs> this, he's he's tr- fulfilling his... Uh, his uh, his function of being like the the warning to children to be to behave well or, or they will be eaten by uh, various creatures in this case a tyrannosaurus rex yeah so meanwhile they're still going down the river the speed's picking up and uh lex is having a great time and he's like woo faster woo and then then uh grant's just like wait a minute there's a waterfall coming up that ain't good he's able to like use the oar to pin them right at the edge of the waterfall to stop them and he looks down and the t-rex is just down at the bottom like jesus man this thing is smart it's down at the bottom waiting for them essentially standing with its mouth open being like yes fall to me my prey and uh the current ends up essentially taking them and they they fall down the waterfall and lex can't swim by the way this is not really that important of a detail but whatever it's important enough 
and they fall in. Grant is able to like kind of slip. The current takes him past the T Rex's legs. Uh, he gets onto a rock. He pulls Tim over to him. The T Rex has something. It turns out to be Lex's life jacket. And then she kind of pops up and she's face down in the water. Grant grabs her, pulls her onto the rock. About to give her mouth to mouth, but she's good. She coughs it up and she's fine. Uh, so the T Rex is distracted. Grant sees a, there's like no real cover, but there's a path that's kind of leading back towards the waterfall that they could take with like a little bit of shrubbery protecting them. So they, they do that, and the T-Rex is looking for them because it realizes that it ain't got them. And they, they end up taking the path up behind the waterfall, and there's this little like crevice behind the waterfall, this like little like hollowed out, not hollowed out, but like a little like cave entrance of sorts that's a couple feet deep. And there's like machinery and stuff in it. And Grant finds a door that's... um key card activated but there's a keypad next to it as well and someone scratched the code into the door into the the, the little flap door flap with the keypad so he o- does it and it opens of course once again lex being difficult no he's like, come on let's go and she's like no i want to stay right here where the t-rex is because that's safer than going into the safety of the maintenance place that'll probably lead us back to the facility but whatever i'd rather stay with the t-rex in the waterfall so grant's like all right fine i'll be right back goes in door slammed behind him so now and there's like no handle so he's essentially he's essentially locked in and is just going to rely on the kids to figure out how to open the door if he wants to get out but he sees that there's an electric car there um which is great um didn't mention this this is kind of important way 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 back totally forgot to bring this up my bad uh back when they were like getting the rat going to get the raft and whatnot um Tim found this case that had uh, a small tranquilizer pistol in it and uh, some ammo. Some, like, it was like an air pistol that was like shot tranquilizer darts. Uh, so he hears some creatures in the tunnel and he sees something jump at him and he fires a shot off and it's a little it's a baby male velociraptor that he hit with the trank and he's just like oh my god it's a it's a naturally bred male velociraptor infant i can't believe it this is my life come like this is my dream come true and then he's just like oh yeah that's right I, I also have some some business i need to attend to so he heads back to the door to see if the kids can try and like figure it out he can kind of hear them meanwhile they're shouting for him like oh no what's going on and then t-rex roars sh- shoves its snout past the waterfall and we we uh see it poke through um it's like sniffing around for them it can't see obviously because only its snouts coming through uh behind the waterfall and once again just i gotta say again Crichton does such a great job at like really setting these scenes because i get such a great visual of what's happening to the point to where there have been times in this book uh this isn't necessarily one of them but i i still get a really strong visual representation in my mind of what's happening uh but there are times in the book where i'm reading it and i honestly because it's been a long time since i've seen the movie it's been like six or seven years maybe more um i can't remember if this is a scene that happened in the movie or if i'm just Crichton did such a good job with the book that i'm just imagining the scene with the actors from the film and it's kind of like taking that spot for me and i'm remembering it as being in the movie despite it not being once again, this scene in particular, it's not. But it, the, my point being is, I am able to draft that visual aid because of Crichton's writing for this scene so well that in my mind, it might as well have been in the movie for as well as I can visualize it. 
Yeah. But, um, yeah, it's sniffing around for them. It shoots its tongue out, and it's, like, trying to, like, find them with its tongue. It finds Tim, and it wraps its tongue around its his his head, which, can we talk about that that tongue? Like, oh, my God, just the fact that it has that much control with it, that it can just wrap its tongue around his head a couple of times and start pulling him into its mouth with it. <laughs> He could he could uh, tie tie a knot in a cherry stem with that tongue. Oh right. <laughs> but yeah, there's there's nothing Lex or Tim can do. It's it's slowly pulling him into its mouth. This is it. This is the end of Tim. Pour one out for our boy Tim. Eleven years young. He died as he lived, with dinosaurs on the brain. <laughs> but no, uh, <laughs> boy, this book would be pretty metal if that's how it went. Um. No, it uh, suddenly it slackens, and uh, the T Rex's jaw clamps down on its tongue, and it's 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 I almost called it a beak. Its snout slowly starts to recede from the the waterfall. For the kids, I imagine this is a really confusing thing. Like, ah, oh, all right, that was strange. Uh, you know, won't take a gift horse in the mouth, but um, that's weird how that happened. But you know, we know better. We know that, that Muldoon did not miss that second shot like Gennaro said he did. No, it was just slow acting. So now that that second uh, tranquilizer shot is finally kicked in, the T-Rex is down for the count. So, woo! And, uh... That's it! That's that's the end of our coverage for today. We, we, we've, we've, now, we've now hit the end. Yeah, uh, that was... That was quite an exciting uh, end there. It's just like this, uh, this, this scene... And obviously I knew that Tim survive but it was just like i really you really feel for him in that moment it, i don't know it's a how is he gonna get out of this situation yeah and also just thinking about how gross that would be because if you remember how like disgusting they described like the, the how just rancid the the, the t-rex's mouth and and breath are they just that just i don't know mm-hmm. just horrors beyond comprehension kind of situation there absolutely and like it's it's the whole sequence with the T-Rex stalking them and chasing them throughout the entire park, this whole section is one of the reasons why I think the book just... It, it's just above the movie for me. It's just... It seems like that, and one that we will be getting to uh, next time for the final quarter of the book. It's just these action set pieces that the movie could not realistically do without being three or four hours long. It's it's those little moments that elevate the book for me and make it to where it's just that much more fun of a read, and why I love the book so much, even more than the movie, which I, as I've said many times, I absolutely adore. Yeah, and and you know, also just kind of thinking out loud here, a lot of these scenes like that would have been very difficult to to do, you know, with with the CGI of the time, you know. Yeah, there might have been it's a way just, to do it, it practical, but it it still probably would have been pretty expensive and taking a lot of time and the movie is pretty tightly paced as it is that having the t-rex stalking them is it it really would have hurt the pacing i think overall yeah yeah certain definitely certain choices had to be made yeah all in all uh this is a great section of the book um we're, we're ramping up to the finale here. The Grant and the kids are about to make it back to the resort. Um, you know, we, we've we've had a um, a shocking uh, lack of Velociraptors. Not like I'm 
implying or foreshadowing anything. No, 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 no. Uh, you know, things are going to finally start kind of coming to a, uh, a head here as we, we hit the final, uh, final bit of the book here. And I'm really excited for it because, uh, man, my favorite scene is coming up soon. And I'm so excited to get back to it. Yeah, uh, I'm very excited. Um, I don't know, just... I know I've said this every time. I'm sure listeners are tired of hearing me say it, but I just... I've been enjoying this so much. Um, I don't know. I really like... This This might be my favorite book that we've done so far because it's just, it's just so fun. It's just so so interesting. I don't know. It's, 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 it's a great read. Um, highly recommend. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I, I'll, I'll go more into it next time as we give our final thoughts for the book as a whole, but I, I don't know if I'm quite there yet with it being uh leviathan wakes for me as you know uh, of course of course i'm saying this because i'm such a such a fanatic for that book because i fell in love with it so hard but it's it really is hard to kind of compare the two it's hard for me to say i like one more than the other because they're so drastically different despite both being science fiction mm-hmm. i mean one, yeah, one's very a, different kinds of science fiction though you know yeah one is so interstellar space travel with a virus that can destroy humanity and the other is an island of dinosaurs yeah, it's in in a certain way actually. Uh, Jurassic Jurassic Park is kind of like a like a more classical almost science fiction, and you know, the uh, Leviathan Wakes is. I mean, it, it's kind of like it's kind of based in like like the Atomic Age, Golden Age of sci-fi kind of stuff. Yeah, but it is a more modern take on that kind of stuff. If you think about it, though, um, Jurassic Park actually kind of works as a prequel to Leviathan Wakes. How do you mean? Uh, Jurassic Park takes place in 1989, and Leviathan Wakes takes place in, like, the, what, 24th, 25th century? Yeah. <laughs> well, I guess from that standpoint, it's true. Technically, Jurassic Park could have been a prequel to, uh, could have been the prequel to Leviathan Wakes. Yeah. You heard it here first, guys. We're crafting brand new literary theories. Anyway, I think that's going to do it for us uh, today. Yeah, it's been fun. Um, uh, looking forward to uh, seeing you guys next time. Uh, once again, this has been Daniel. I'm Dusty. And this has been the Sad Boys Book Club. Thank you, everybody, for listening, and we'll see you next time. Take care.